On Sunday nights, we are on a journey with John, and we're looking at the life of Jesus uh, through the writings of John. Tonight, I want to do a little bit of uh, explanation by way of introduction to kind of get us prepared for one of the major themes of John's gospel as he goes through it, and that is light and darkness. Now, light and darkness has a, a great deal of an effect on our world, on, on us. Uh, it affects our thinking uh, more than you would realize. Um, so I asked the, the guys in the back booth if they would go ahead and just turn all the lights completely out. And we'll just make it as dark as we can. We'll leave the projectors on. And it takes a few minutes, especially with our lighting, to get all the way down. But when you take it all the way down, uh, it does a couple of things. One the pupils in your own eyes begin to widen. Now, you don't realize that. It's very subtle. Uh, but as your light, as your eyes adjust toward the light, uh, what's happening is the rods and cones are, are screaming, there's not enough light, there's not enough light. And so they send messages to the brain that open up the pupil as wide as it'll go to let any residual light come in. And so now what's happened, now that it's completely dark, as dark as we can get it, at least with the house lights, is that you notice now light that you didn't know before. You can tell who's using the iPads. You can see the exit signs. The, the projectors actually look decently bright because we've taken out all the residual. Now, this is what happens in John's Gospel. He'll talk about darkness in several places, and one of the reasons for that is to, I think, accentuate the light. He's talking. He's using a writing style to remind us that Jesus is the light. And so the more darkness, as he emphasizes the darkness, sometimes the purpose of that is to remind us of what light is still there. Now we can go ahead and bring up the lights to what we call a projection mode or Toby mode or something like, I can't remember which one it is, but uh, that brings up some of the light. Um, Enough light where you can kind of see me and you can kind of see to fill out the handouts and you can kind of see each other, uh, but not a ton of light. Uh, we still have the fluorescence off, and, and, uh, but you now notice the things that you noticed before less so than you did. But now the light has accentuated and it has brought to illumination things that maybe you didn't see before in the darkness. As John emphasizes the light and the growing importance of the light in our lives, of course we've already been through that John said that the light was the life of man, and that light is very important. And so his, the light becomes, if you can imagine, as John writes this play, as he tells this story, he's using the lighting. Now we go ahead and bring all the lights up, and uh, that turns on the, the fluorescence above, and, and now there's full illumination. Now, as you were at, at each different level, from total darkness to mid-level to full brightness, it affected your thinking. It affected your perception. It affected your senses, what you noticed. The same is true when we think about spiritual light and darkness, and that's what we're going to be looking at tonight um, when we talk about this topic of when men love darkness. Uh, a man by the name of Nicodemus comes to visit Jesus, and uh, Nicodemus is a very interesting character. 
He's a ruler over the Jewish Sanhedrin. Uh, that would kind of be the equivalent of our high ruling courts, maybe our state Supreme Court, or maybe the federal Supreme Court. They had a lot of power, very smart, learned men, uh, capable of discussing a number of issues. Very, I mean, they didn't take that position lightly. And so he's a very wise man. In fact, Jesus would call him your Israel's teacher. And this conversation, John points out that it happened at night. Uh, read with me, if you will, from John chapter 3. I'm going to read verses <clears throat> 1 through uh, 21. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish, Jewish ruling council. Uh, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are from God. For no one who could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, you notice here, John saying, of course, he points out Nicodemus came at night. But then he says, he makes a special note of what Jesus says is no one can see the kingdom of God. He's implying something about the state of Nicodemus's understanding. How can someone be born unless they are old? When they are old, Nicodemus asks, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And if ever there was a verse so appropriate, it is tonight to talk about the wind. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Verse 9, how can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, and whoever does not believe stands already condemned because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. And will not come into the life or fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This uh, story of light and darkness and this happening of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus is just part of the ongoing story of light and dark as we begin to walk through the Gospel of John. Jesus says an interesting phrase in there that men love darkness. And it occurred to me that, you know, churches spend a lot of time. In fact, at Northside, we're spending our whole year 
working to be the light and, and to let the light shine through us and all of that good stuff. But sometimes, no matter how much light you have out there, men love darkness rather than light. And so when they do, we're going to talk about the effects of that. When men love darkness, you see, Nicodemus is, of course, in a in a part of his life where he's unsure about who Jesus is. He, he seems to believe the miracles. And by the way, that's a big theme with John, as we've already looked at. But but he's unsure about who it is. So the darkness that, that John points out is indicative, I believe, of what John's saying about Nicodemus's state of decision concerning Jesus. He says... <clears throat> Um, I'm not, we're not sure about this. Clearly, you come from Jesus or from God, but you—that goes against what we understand. And Jesus said, ah, "Well, the problem is the problem is your understanding." Uh, Nicodemus did come to Jesus's defense later in John chapter seven, verses fifty through fifty-two. It's interesting to me. Also, uh, we won't go to John chapter seven, but <clears throat> I want to go to John chapter nineteen. Chapter 19, verses 38 through 42, because this sort of fast forwards through the story about what happened with Nicodemus. John chapter 19, verses 38 through 42, reads this way. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, but secretly feared because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, He came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus had brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, and taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen, and this was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. It's interesting to me that as we think about Nicodemus and the story of John, coming to him at a time of great darkness, that the last time he's mentioned in the book of John is a time of another great darkness, a spiritual darkness, He would say in the other Gospels that this is your hour when darkness reigns, a time when the men who love darkness appeared to have been victorious. Okay, when men love darkness, they they don't believe in Jesus. The Pharisees, of course, couldn't stand Jesus, but they had a hard time stopping Jesus. Uh, He defied everything they believed and understood, but yet Jesus... Kept going. They couldn't argue with his ability to do the miracles. They couldn't argue with the signs. And so they sought a way to kill him otherwise. They were blind to the kingdom of God, to spiritual matters, to heavenly things. Although they were very, very smart. They probably knew certainly um, Genesis through Malachi better than we do. And yet. When they came into contact with the one who Genesis through Malachi spoke about, prophesied about, and wrote about, they refused to believe in him. Jesus would call that, and John would refer to that as blindness. 
The Pharisees, of course, emphasized the externals, the, the physical nature of things. Nicodemus asked about, what in the world? Jesus being born again? Man entering his mother's womb for a second time? That is just strange. Of course he couldn't understand that because Jesus wasn't talking about physical rebirth. He was talking about a spiritual rebirth of a higher kind. And Jesus, the same with us, is not concerned about the date of your birth as much as he is about the date of your rebirth. When you choose to believe in Jesus, well, uh, let's look at it from John's perspective again. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 35 and 36, we're going to look at another uh, appearance of darkness. Chapter 12, verses 35 and 36. Jesus told them, and he's speaking now to the disciples, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus hid himself from them. Jesus emphasizes that, that the, uh, as, as John does throughout the book, that belief and truth and holiness and righteousness are all things associated with the light. And he says that if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to learn to walk in the light, to live according to the light. Not just to... Say you believe in Jesus one time, but to each day as you walk along, as you go throughout your journey, you have to choose which side you're going to be on. I'm curious, although Sunday night crowd, I might make a certain set of assumptions, but where are you choosing to live? In the light of the darkness? You live in the light all the time? You have moments when you prefer things dark, when you prefer people not to be around. You walk in the light just when it's easy. You walk in the light when things get hard. You have to choose to walk in the light while you have the light. And, um, of course, we believe that the light of Jesus can shine all the time, but we have to choose to walk in it. Nicodemus was curious uh, what he needed according to Jesus, was rebirth. And what Nicodemus was kind of asking about was religion. And Jesus said, no, you don't understand. You need to be born from above. John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, uh, at the very beginning of the book that we've already read, Yet to all who did receive him, John writes, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born out of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. Uh, this emphasis on being born again is something that John's going to come back to again and again as the, as the beginning point for walking in the light. Later on in 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, he says something very interesting that I think really coincides nicely with his epistle. He says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right 
has been born of him. That's a, I mean, we're going to generally think of being born again as that moment right there, and I don't deny that, but Jesus or John goes farther and he says that anyone who, who seeks to do what is right, and that's the, the process of, of letting the light shine in your life again and again throughout your journey. Do you believe him is the question. As we said over and over again, John has emphasized the word believe, and it's all come back to this. And, of course, he's got these seven or eight major miracles that are all uh, really a highlight of John's gospel. But the whole point of talking about the miracles is to, to lead the people to believe in the Son of God. And he's going to lead them to this point where in chapter 20 he's going to say, now, now you've got to choose for yourself whether you're going to believe in him. On a Sunday night crowd, I doubt there are very many people here that are seriously questioning their belief in Jesus. My question to you is, though, do you believe him in a way that shows up in how you walk? Is, is being born again, was that something happened once, one to 60 years ago? Or is it something that happens every single day? Jesus says, if, if you want to walk in the light, you've got to choose to believe in him. And he points out this story. Uh, this is kind of a well-known story from Numbers chapter 21. He says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who... That everyone who, uh, sorry, I lost my place here. Everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Of course, Numbers chapter 21, um, it's not like you're waiting to see any basketball games or anything. I'll turn it, go ahead and turn there and read it. Numbers chapter 21, verses 5 through 9. They spoke against God and against Moses. They said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. So, (laughs) God does, as uh, probably every spiritual leader has one time or another has wished they could do. Verse 9, I'm sorry, verse 6. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. And they came, the people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. He didn't do that. He didn't cause the snakes to leave. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, put it on a pole, and then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. I don't want to go into the depth of that story, but I, I want to go back to it because Jesus referenced it. It makes more sense to me that God would just drive out the snakes. The people said, we've sinned, we've messed up here, we didn't trust you. And so God says to Moses, let's see if they really trust us. 
Make the pole, make the snake, put it up on a pole and tell them to look at it and they'll live. Logically, that does not make sense. And by the way, if you get bitten by a snake, I wouldn't recommend it. Okay? Um, because it just, that, that, that violates every element of reason. And certainly if you've ever been bitten by a snake before, it violates every amount of experience you've had. You get bitten by a poisonous snake and you start making a little bronze snake to put up on a pole, it's not going to do any good unless God has said to do it, unless God has sent that as the means of your salvation, and unless you choose to trust him enough where you believe him to do it. This is, and we'll come back to this again and again throughout John's gospel, but you you have to, to be able to seek the light enough to believe Jesus and to believe what he said to do enough that you actually do it and apply it, even when it defies reason and logic. You know, when you start making human, like, human reason to get to explain God's ways, you're already in trouble. Because you're trusting in yourself. You're trusting in your own mind of what above what God simply says to do. So this is, uh, I think, what he's pointing to with, with Nicodemus. He's talking about being born again. Uh, listen, Nicodemus, do you trust me or not? It doesn't really make sense. I mean, I don't get it. But if you're going to believe in Jesus... If you want eternal life, that's what you got to start with. you got to start by trusting him to do what he says. Of course, Acts 4.12 says salvation is found in no one else. There is no other way given to men, uh, to mankind, by which we must be saved. I wish um, I could tell you tonight that there are multiple ways to go to heaven. It's not true, at least if Jesus was telling the truth. Jesus would later say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and I'm it. No one comes to the Father except through me. When men love darkness, secondly, they won't obey Jesus. I want to I drill down here specifically on verse 7. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. He preceded that by saying, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at, saying you must, at my saying you must be born again. It, I wish I understood this better. Maybe God will show me. But there are so many people who believe Jesus, or they claim to, but they argue about whether or not we must be born again. And Jesus said it as clearly as he could say it. He, could, he was absolutely, uh, there, there's, there's no wiggle room here, okay? There's no exceptions to this rule. If you want to be born from above, Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. Jesus said, whoever believes me and is baptized shall be saved, but whoever does not believe shall be condemned. You can argue with me about that all day long. You can get a pastor or preacher who's way smarter than I am to give me all the reasons why that's not true. But it's still in there. And fundamentally, it comes down to, do I believe Jesus Above anyone else, am I willing to obey Jesus to do what he said? It's not just 
about the water. The, the water is the where, but it's being born of, the, of, of the, the water and the spirit. The spirit is the who. And, and sometimes we have sort of put the spirit aside because he's a part that we that can't really understand too well. There's things that he does. Jesus sort of compared him to the wind. And he does things that we don't fully understand. And we don't always, can't really box him up real well. And so when he does those things, we sort of go, eh, just give me the water. That I can understand at least. But Jesus said we must be born again. And um, what, uh, uh, the, the where is important, but the who is also important. It's, it's about, of course, forgiveness of sins, but also about the new spirit indwelling within you. When that happens, the, the birth is where the new birth is where your journey begins. Turn to Titus chapter three, please. Titus chapter three. Verses four and five. But when the kindness and love of God of our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we have done. But because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. He saved us through the washing and the renewal of the Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Praise be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How can these things be? The teacher of Israel, he didn't get it. He didn't, it didn't, this didn't reason out to him in the way that he was used to. Nicodemus was smart, but he was still in darkness. And Jesus is trying to bring him into the light. Faith requires... Belief and obedience. And um, sometimes we think it requires skill, intelligence, wisdom, great ability. Not so. The kingdom of God was open to those who would just do simple things like children. Be faithful, be obedient, and do what he asked us to do. So Jesus is very clear here. Without being born again... There is no forgiveness of sins. There is no gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that I don't mean that to be terribly unkind or cruel. I don't mean that to cast judgment on anyone you know who hasn't been. I only mean that to be truthful and to do as Jesus attempted to do with Nicodemus, and that's to lead you into the light, to help you understand that if you want to be in the kingdom of heaven... You must be born again. You must be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And, and that when that happens, you receive an inner gift of the Holy Spirit who not only renews you uh, today, but he renews you day by day. And it's a beautiful gift. Uh, again, I do not understand that fully, but I do believe it. And um, I want you to as well. Acts chapter 2 verse 38, a Church of Christ Sunday night crowd should know that pretty well. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, 
for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, there are a lot of, I mean, it's sort of weird. It's sort of in vogue right now about you know churches having big baptismal services and stuff like that. And so you ask a person, well, does that church, do they believe in baptism? You see all these baptisms going on. You say, well, yeah, they clearly do. The question you need to ask is very simple this, very simply this. Uh, do you need to be baptized to be Christian? Do you need to be a baptized believer to be a part of the kingdom of heaven? And many churches who do a lot of baptisms will say, oh, no, 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 no. That's not, I mean, you don't need to do that at all. Don't even worry about that. It's, it's just an outward sign of an inward grace. It's just... Um, I see, I just don't, this is the part I don't, this is Toby talking now. I don't get that. To me, that is the hyper extent of legalism. Oh, we don't have to do it, but, but you should do it. I mean, it's kind of a good thing to do. Is it, what is this, Jesus brownie points kind of thing? What's the purpose of doing it if we don't need to do it to be a part of the kingdom? We do it to be a part of the kingdom because we believe that what Jesus said is true. If we trust him, if we believe him, then we want to obey him. If there's no, if I don't receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when I'm baptized, then all I'm doing up there or wherever I do is getting wet. That's it. But we believe of being born of the water and the Spirit. So pay attention. You know, watch your life and your your doctrine closely. It's not just about believing that Jesus said it, but also being willing to obey it. And lastly, men love darkness because they won't seek the light. There are a lot of reasons that Jesus stated that they don't want to go to the light. Um, But the the core of all those things is evil hates the light. Um, A famous preacher here at Northside that I know once said that nothing good happens after midnight. Well, if you... Talk to people who are in law enforcement. If you, I mean, that's very true. There's something to the darkness that draws out the evil within us. There's something to the darkness that somehow affects us and makes us believe that we're shrouded, that we're covered, that, that we're unseen, and we can do the things that we shouldn't be doing. And so evil hates the light because the light exposes the evil. The light exposes the problem. Um, light reveals truth. I think about it like this way. If you're uh, in your bed and you're kind of laying there, but you're not quite asleep yet, and you hear some noises in your house, right? and it's dark, those noises are amplified because you... You know, there's no, nothing, no other perception. So your hearing's amplified, and you hear those noises that you've probably heard a hundred of t- t- hundreds of times during that same day. But now, because you're laying there and there's darkness, you hear the light, or you hear the the bump in the night. Now it alerts you. Now your heart starts racing faster, and your adrenaline starts pumping. Why? Because darkness is shrouding whatever's happening. If you get frightened enough, you'll get up and go turn on the light and check out, make sure nobody's trying to, you know, jar the lock or, or break in or do something bad. But it's the, the immediate reaction is why you turn on the light. 
because the light reveals the truth of what's happening, whether it's a dog walking through or somebody tried to break in. Okay? So we, <clears throat> if you want to come to Christ, you have to be willing to seek the light. That light of Christ, by the way, is going to expose things about you that you know are true but you haven't dealt with. That light will tell you the truth, but that light will also diminish fear. Those who choose Jesus love light more than darkness, and that light brings life, which is what John says in John, very beginning of the chapter. In him was the life, the light rather, and that life, light, was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We, of course, know that in Jesus' story, the light of the dark got real dark. But the darkness didn't overcome the light. We look around our world and we think, man, it's getting pretty dark out there. And that's true. But the darkness ain't going to overcome the light. It may be getting pretty dark in your world right now. And that may well be true. And I may not know what you're going through, but I can assure you that the darkness will not overcome the light unless you let it. So may we choose to come into the light. May we choose to walk as Nicodemus did on his journey. Turn with me to the book of Revelation, John's last book, as we finish out tonight's lesson. John chapter, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 21, verses 22. And 23 describes the final reside of those who are seeking the light. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. A city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light, and the Lamb is its Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor to it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there is no night there. Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever and ever. Amen. The light is in Jesus. And uh, if we want to come to him, we've got to believe him enough that what he says is true. We've got to believe it enough that we are willing to obey it. And we have to seek the light. Not just seeking it one time, but seeking it again and again and again as we strive to Walk in the light and have the light of life. That's where we're headed if we're walking in the light. And tonight, if you haven't begun that journey, if you haven't been born again, uh, then you are not in the kingdom. And I want to call you to that. I I don't want to say that to judge or make you feel bad. I don't want to tell you there's hope. (laughs) If you're in the darkness, come to the light. And so Jesus is serving the same purpose that he did for Nicodemus. May we seek the light. And tonight, if you need to seek the light, either in obedience to the gospel, or if you've been in the light, but you've sort of been living in the shadows, I want to call you back into the light to repent, to let us pray with you, encourage you, whatever you might need. 
Come forward as we stand and sing. I'll meet you down front.